Well, I was here last night. Uh, I was helping the Hispanic ministry set up for their worship this morning. And as I was leaving about 8 o'clock, I heard chanting on the streets. And I looked across the street, and there was a Black Lives Matter um, parade, march, going by, coming up Main Street and down Santa Ana Boulevard. And it just highlighted for me uh, the effects of racism in our country. And um, I just hate it. I hate what happened in Charlottesville this past week. Uh, and for, as a pastor, you know, you sit and you prepare all week for a sermon and then, and a service and everything, and then something like this happens and it's like this cloud that kind of casts a shadow on your thoughts and your preparations. And, and so I want to be sensitive to what happened in Charlottesville this past week. Um, at the same time, uh, staying with what we've been planning and talking um, in preparation for this. I'm reminded, um, and let me say just as a pastor, um, that I condemn white supremacy and all forms of racism as evil. I just want to say that as firmly and strongly as I can. Uh, Martin Luther King said you cannot drive out darkness with darkness, and I would add to that that you cannot drive out evil with evil, you cannot drive out hatred with hatred, and you cannot drive out racism with racism. And so we must approach all of these matters with light and with hope and with love and with justice. And so let's work together to do that. Our country is divided by those who would say, you don't belong. But God, we worship a God who says you do belong. And that's one of the things that I think makes the church so wonderful is because we open our, whereas some people raise their fists, we open up our arms and welcome all people into our gathering. And so I just wanna encourage you to continue to stand against injustice and against racism. Uh, first in ourselves, we have to be honest and recognize that we all carry with us biases and then um, within the community and throughout our own nation. Uh, we continue on in our series on families and uh, God's love for families and speaking about families. And so it kind of seems appropriate that we uh, talk about this subject, especially when we're talking about today, non-traditional families. We kind of have this, this mindset, many of us, of what a family looks like, you know, a mother, a father, 2.5 children, uh, home with a white picket fence and a golden retriever named Max, right? <laughs> we all have that in our minds, but our world is changing drastically, isn't it? And so it's important for us as a church and a church family to recognize that and to support and encourage those that are um, sometimes have difficult times in this modern day culture. The other night I watched uh, the movie St. Vincent. How many of you have seen St. Vincent? Really? Oh, wow. Okay. It's a hilarious movie. Very cute, very funny. It came out in 2014. This young boy has to be transferred to a new school, and it's a Catholic school. And his first day of class, uh, Brother Garrity calls him up to the front of the class and says, All right, Oliver. Uh, he says to him, Maybe as a thank you, you could lead us in a morning prayer. And Oliver goes, Uh... I think, 
I think I'm Jewish. <laughs> and Brother Garrity says, okay, good to know. Um, Oliver thinks he's Jewish. He looks at the class and says that. And some of the kids start to say, so am I, and others, I'm Buddhist, and there's no, there's no God, and all these things. And see, Brother Garrity says, yes, so you get the idea. We celebrate all religions of the world in this classroom, Oliver. I'm a Catholic, which is the best of all religions, really, because we have the most rules and the, be the, the best clothes. But among us, there's also a Buddhist, an agnostic, we have a Baptist, and we have an I don't know, which seems to be the fastest growing religion in the world. And now we have I think I'm Jewish, which is a new one for the class, Oliver, so, so thanks for that. Um, the reason I love that scene is the I don't know, which seems to be the fastest growing religion in the world. <laughs> I just love that line. It gives me a chuckle every time I hear it. Um, the one that I think is even more popular than the I don't knows is the I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. I hear that so much. How many of you have heard that? I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Religion, the word religious and religion have gotten a bad rap, haven't they? Um, and that's why I wanted to talk about religion uh, and what does religion mean and uh, pure religion. And James uh, defines it, Kamala just read it, James defines pure religion as care for the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Sounds good, right? Can we do that? Yeah. All right, let's close in prayer. <laughs> oh, I have a few more things to say because I'm a preacher and that's what we do. Um, care for the widows and the orphans. That seems to be a theme throughout scripture, right? We hear it all the time. God established the family. He started the family with marriage between a husband and a wife. They became a father and mother. That began the human race, right? And we hear about that over and over. And God cares for the family. God has a special place for family and a special plan for family. We've been discussing that. Um, and throughout Scripture, God lifts up those who are not incorporated into a healthy family and says he is the defender of them. He is the protector of them, especially the widow and the orphan. Orphan is oftentimes referred to as the fatherless, right? And God says, I will be the father to the fatherless. This kind of ties into a spiritual theme in the Bible. Now, here's an interesting, well, I won't get there yet, just yet. It's a spiritual theme in the Bible because the people of Israel were in uh, Egypt, right? And they were slaves in Egypt. And when Moses went to talk to Pharaoh, uh, Moses spoke for God and said, um, the people of Israel have become my firstborn. So this idea of adopting the people of Israel as God's adoptive children is an important theme throughout. Um, and again, throughout the Psalms, there's a phrase that happens over and over again where God says, I will be the father to the fatherless. Um, and then of course we have the great uh, example of David who um, somewhat adopted Mephibosheth Mephibosheth. Everybody say that with me. Mephibosheth. That was terrible. Um, <laughs> I, 
I have trouble with that name every time I say it. Mephibosheth, which was, who was the son of Jonathan. And when Jonathan was killed, Mephibosheth, um, who was a cripple, had a club foot, they said, um, was brought into David's house, and David basically adopted him. Scripture um, over and over again talks about care for those people and for mothers who are childless, parents who are childless. Hannah uh, didn't have a child. She prayed to God, and God brought a child to her. Sarah did not have a child. Um, they prayed to God. Abraham and Sarah prayed to God. God gave them a child. Elizabeth in the New Testament didn't have a child and had one in her old age. So there's a lot of care for people whose families don't feel complete. Um, and that's why I think it's important for us to recognize that there's people like that in our church. There's people who are not comfortable coming to church on Mother's Day because they don't want the fact that they're not a mother to be highlighted. Um, there are probably some men who pro feel a little uncomfortable coming on Father's Day and feel like, gosh, I don't have any kids of my own. Uh, and maybe I never will. People, there are people who are like that, and we have to recognize that and surround them with love, right? And support them and, and show them that they matter and that they, uh, we care for them. God also established a thing called the kinsman redeemer. Um, that's when a male relative who acts uh, on behalf of another relative in trouble or who has passed away. And the greatest story in the kinsman redeemer theme is, of course, Ruth, very good, and Boaz. And so um, Ruth, whose husband died, and she came back to her, his hometown, a uh, foreign country for her. Um, yes, somebody please give a gold star to uh, Jeff for getting that answer so confidently and strongly there. Um, and so uh, Boaz became her kinsman redeemer. And in fact, there was another relative who was even closer to her that should have been the kinsman redeemer. And, Boaz had to have a conversation with that man first before he became Ruth's husband. Um, and then there's the Leveret marriage. And I want to read this. This just cracks me up. Um, Deuteronomy 25. I know when you read Deuteronomy, you don't think, oh, full of chuckles. Um, but Deuteronomy 25.5. When brothers reside together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside of the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her, taking her in marriage and performing the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the firstborn whom she bears shall succeed to, name, to the name of the deceased brother so that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. Isn't that a fascinating thought that this isn't the funny part for me just yet. But if a guy dies, I mean, I'm just imagining if my brother married a woman, they didn't have any kids, and then he died, I would, by this, be required to go and be her surrogate husband, kind of, provide a child, and then that child would be uh, considered a descendant of my brother and receive all the, um, everything that was coming, the inheritance and such that was coming to him. Uh, but if the man has no desire to marry his brother's widow, then his brother's widow shall go up to the elders at the gate and say, my husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his town shall summon him and speak to him. And if he persists, saying, I have no desire to marry her, 
then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders. Now, this is what I love. Get this. The woman will come up to him in the presence of the elders, pull his sandal off his foot, spit in his face, and declare, this is what is done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. Don't you just love it? Spitting in the face, prescribed in the Bible. Um, Throughout Israel, his family shall be known as the house of him whose sandal was pulled off. (laughs) Isn't that great? There's the man whose sandal was pulled off. (gasps) Scandal. That just cracks me up. But you see the point here, that God wants to protect families and protect especially women in these cases, because in the ancient days, women, kids, orphans, um, they lost a lot. And so scripture is very much filled with ways of protecting them. So then I got into the idea of adoption, because adoption's pretty common in our society, right? And I think it's a wonderful opportunity for people who are not able to have kids to be able to adopt and have children in that way. So I did some research and Looked, and in the Old Testament, how many times is the word adoption used? Big fat zero. Not once. Adoption is never mentioned in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the Greek word is? Tom? No. It's not Tom, by the way. Huio thesia. It's almost as bad as Mephibosheth. It is used five times by the Apostle Paul only, um, talking about adoption. But when he talks about it, he talks about it in terms of, first, Israel being adopted by God as the children of God, but secondly, as Gentiles who are made um, heirs of the kingdom by adoption. And so they are fully legal heirs of God's family. Um, But there's no talk about the family unit. And even in my studies of ancient literature and things, there's just not a lot of talk about adoption, although we understand that they knew what it was. Excuse me, in the spiritual sense, adoption um, comes from that sense of leaving Egypt uh, and slavery and being brought to freedom. Um, And so in the spiritual sense, it's slavery to what? To sin. We're slaves to sin before we are adopted by God. When God redeems us, he brings us out of that slavery to sin and into the light of his family. Now remember, slavery means uh, you are owned by your master. And so when we are slaves to sin, we are owned by the master of sin. But when God redeems us through the power of Jesus Christ, we become sons and daughters of God. And we are no longer slaves to sin, but we belong. We belong to his family. So I truly believe that this idea of non-traditional families, and especially adoptions in our culture, is a wonderful illustration of God's love for us. Because um, it's not just something that happened naturally, it's something that happened by choice. God chooses us. God reaches out and says, even though you are not mine by birth, you are mine by choice. I choose you. And we have to respond by choosing God in return, right? 
And perhaps I think this is why God cares for orphans and widows so much. Um, God desires his children, us, to do the same. We need to care for our widows and orphans. It reminds us of our own status in the world in a spiritual sense, um, that we are orphans and we are widows without God, and God brings us into the fold. So I want to challenge you. Um, in fact, I'm going to ask you right now, how many of you, anybody, is adopted? No adopted people here? Okay. Were you adopted? Oh, he's adopted. Okay. So, all right. Okay. I understand that. In, in that sense, that works. Okay. How many of you have adopted a child? Two, three, four. Okay. So, would you be willing to say how that is? How that feels? Okay, so Orlando adopted um, Christina's daughter, Julia, so that's awesome. Juliana. Juliana. She was six months old. Okay, Anybody? Gloria, did you want to share? So, yeah, we know that, right? Gloria adopted her great-grandchildren, those three kids that we love so much running around here all the time, um, and she adopted them. So she's actually their grand, great grandmother and mom. And uh, essentially, I encourage her. Uh, I'm just Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. Any other comments? Okay, so I think that's awesome. We need to be aware of that and bless these people who have done that. And I think that they have done something special for those children. Any of you have adopted siblings? Siblings, sister or brother? Okay, a couple, all right, good. Scott, way up in the back, in the heavens. Yeah, so, so I think a lot of us are aware of people who are adopted, right? Um, we had an associate pastor here for a while who was, um, who was adopted. She grew up in a family in Southern Orange County. She had a wonderful life with that family. Never knew her birth parents, and then while she was working here, um, she got a call. Your birth mother uh, has cancer. We, want, we need to alert you to this. And that was like a roller coaster for her because she was just kind of happy strolling along. And then all of a sudden she hears this story about her mother and then she decided to go meet her mom. She was in her 30s and never even really thought about her birth mother. And then suddenly, and so it was kind of this, wow, I'd kind of, Never really thought about it, and now I'm meeting my birth mom for the first time, and I'm grieving because she's about to die. And so there's a lot that plays into this sense of adoption, right? I have another friend. Um, he's probably around 40, just met his birth brother and birth sister for the first time. Fascinating to, to see him. He's like traveling up to Canada to see them and to spend time with them. He's like, this is a whole new side of his life that he's never, um, never seen before. And it, uh, what's interesting is suddenly, he's always felt like he belonged, but now he has another deeper sense of belonging because he has siblings that he's never met before. Um, and so it's wonderful. 
I was talking this past week, believe it or not, to a couple who uh, had adopted, a, he's a preschooler, and um, everything was going great. They've had him for a, a year and a half now. He, they loved him to death. And then a social worker called them up the other day and said, look, uh, his birth dad is uh, going to court to seek custody. This couple was like, oh my gosh, we have connected with this kid. We love, he's our son now. And they're going to pull him away. And so they had to go to court. They had people praying for them. And um, they went to court and the judge threw it out. Looked at the dad and said, you're not here for the son. You're here for yourself. And you're here to get what you can from the state and everything else. You're not here for the right reasons. So they were able to keep uh, their adoptive son. Why do I bring this up? Because we at the church need to kind of be aware of people who are not in the mom, dad, 2.5 children, white picket fence families, because there's lots of us <laughs> that are not in that boat any longer. And to um, reach out and to support them, and primarily, if I've learned nothing else from this sermon, it's that sense of belonging. That you have a home, you have a place, right? And that's what I get when I look at Charlottesville and I see these people saying, you don't belong. And we need to turn around constantly and say, you do belong. You do belong. And God says that through Jesus Christ, you do belong. God loved the world so much that he sent his son into the world so that we might be brothers and sisters in him. So let's continue to reach out to those around us, okay? We good? That's, yeah, we good. That's the uh, new translation for amen, yeah. Do I hear an amen? amen. <laughs> All right.